What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Toes on the Line podcast. It's your host, Gio Grassi. And yes, it has been a long while since I put out an episode. And I have one excuse, and it's a good enough excuse. And it's actually not an excuse. It's a reason being uh, why I have not put out an episode in a while. My laptop had crashed back in March. And then when I got my new one, I said, you know what? Let me wait until our semester is over before I even start recording again because... I'm just working these long 14-hour days. Some days were 10 hours. Some days were 14. And it was just hectic. And I wanted to get through the semester because these COVID hours were really dredging me, man. It was pissing me off. Uh, But that's through. And now we're rolling, man. So I usually pre-record my episodes in advance. So when times like this do come around and I'm real busy in the semester, I could just edit them on a weekend, publish them on the weekday, and really not waste time recording when I just want to relax. So with my computer crashing, I lost all my data, was unable to back up the hard drive. Apple couldn't even help me out with that, and that kind of ticked me off. So I lost about eight episodes with that. Um, That sucks, but whatever, life goes on. And on this episode, Coach John Patrick has been nice and patient enough, thank you, sir, to hop back on and record another episode with me. And on this episode, we're talking about fatigue. We're talking about how to program for different responses from your athlete, um, whether it be in season, off season, depending on the stress level of the athlete, can they uh, continue to build? Do they need to restore? And things like that. I don't want to spoil too much of it because coach does a great job of just going in and explaining in depth why he does certain things with his athletes. So get ready, line them up, lock and load, get ready to go. Welcome to the Toes in the Line podcast. I'm your host, Gio Grassi. Today I have Coach John Patrick. And just so everybody knows, I pre-recorded an episode back in February with Coach Patrick. My damn laptop crashed. I just told him about it. Um, I think I told him about it like two or three times. Right. And now we're finally getting it going. So we're doing it today, May 26th. This episode's going to come out uh, June 1st. That's a Tuesday, day after Memorial Day. Yep. I believe yep. so. So, Coach, listen, first of all, I didn't even I didn't even say this yet. Thank you for having the damn patience of like two months of waiting for me to get a damn laptop and, and having the free time when our semester concluded to get this thing going, man. How you been? No, everything's been fantastic, man. No, I, I totally understand things happen. I'm a pretty patient person. So anything for you, it's a pleasure to talk to you, like I said. And and, uh, and as we talked a little bit earlier on the intro, like I don't wish anybody's computer crash or hard drive. I don't wish that upon anybody. So it's definitely a nerve wracking uh, experience. Yeah, now it's it's almost like you know wishing harm on somebody, man. You don't want that, man. <laughs> not even for your enemies, man. You just pray for them. But uh, so we kind of wanted to get back into the topic we talked about last time: athlete fatigue. I still remember to this day though, um, how you caught my eye with the finger tap test, the CNS right. finger tap, and I still do that myself. And there's many different ways to assess athlete fatigue. But I love the post that you put out that day. I think it was back in like January or something like that. Um, on LinkedIn. It was a great post, very detailed. And I love what you spoke about there. And if you want to briefly talk about that and other metrics of fatigue monitoring or athlete readiness, however people want to term it these days, certain things that, you know, you implement with your, uh, your athletes. Right. Yeah. I mean, a real simple thing. I mean, it really wasn't something that uh, I was really primarily just doing it for myself, you know, it was just me training or whatnot. And, and especially in, in, it was really during, you know, the whole pandemic and COVID started acting up or whatnot. And I was just like, Hey, you know, i I was just tinkering around with stuff and, and I came across the CNS tap test um, just through one of the apps and I just started playing with it with my own training and, and it kind of caught on, right? So 
I still do it to this day. I mean, um, you know, and I just base everything off how I feel for that day primarily, but um, it really gives me a good indicator as far as my recovery or whatnot. Now it's going to be different for everybody, but right. um, especially, you know, older individuals like myself or, or younger individuals like athletes, you really have to take a fine line as far as what you're really training for and how it's dictated. But, you know, with, with, with uh, programs that don't have a lot of funding, you know, that could, you know, there are other, there are other aspects out there you can use, right? Like, you know, like whoop, you know, the aura ring, like there's a whole bunch of different things that you can use out there to, to measure, you know, some type of management system or fatigue monitoring aspects, you know, even the original Omega wave and stuff like that people have used in the past, but obviously those things cost money. And if it's something that you don't have the funds to do that, especially with the smaller end programs, you know, I use this, I use this initially with our uh, volleyball program uh, when I worked at UNC Charlotte. So it was just something that, you know, coming off of COVID, I wasn't sure if they did anything during as far as training goes. So I'm like, well, how can I, you know, of course I'm going to cut back on volume and cut back on what we're training as far as the expectation, as far as training when they come back. But I really want to measure what's going on as far as fatigue goes and how we can load that a little bit differently. So it was something when they first initially came back during the fall, uh, during fall camp or whatnot, even though, you know, it was considered like an off season because we weren't having a season until the spring it was still something I kind of had ease. So, you know, the school had protocols, right? It was like, uh, I forget the exact protocols as far as what we need to do, but it was like, you know, cut our volume in half and then three quarter and then day, you know, the third workout or something, they were back up to the full, full go or whatnot, as far as volume goes. And then obviously, you know, a lot of our governing associations also gave out protocols and stuff like that, that we try to follow as much as possible. But, you know, I initiated, uh, the CNS tap test with all our female, you know, female volleyball players, we roughly had, you know, anywhere from 14 to 15 on the team. And it was something that, you know, you can, you can actually email it to individuals and stuff, but we actually, you know, it was, it was something they did on their own and then they would report a score. So hmm. um, it worked out good just because I would check that. I wouldn't check it really on a daily basis, but more of a weekly basis, just because daily is really time consuming, especially if you have to go, you know, we would lift before practice. So, you know, they'd come in, or, you know, so that it would, we'd get that information, go from there. But we also gave questionnaires. Questionnaires helped out quite a bit, do them every morning when they came up. And there are other programs that do questionnaires. We just did one through Google Sheets, uh, which I'd be more than happy to share with anybody if, if they need it. But I would get that information. They had a certain time period that they needed to fill it out. And we used Teamworks. So Teamworks, we could send it. If you haven't used Teamworks before, it's a basic, like a planning aspect. You can put in training sessions within a calendar yeah. Um, and you can contact athletes and stuff. So I actually put the link to the, the Google sheet in the, you know, teamworks email or whatnot. And then every morning it would just get sent out. So they would just have to click on it. And then I would get that all, all that data. So I'd come in, you know, while they're eating breakfast during pre-camp or whatnot, I'd come in about 30 minutes early, have that, all that information, put it in a spreadsheet. That was kind of a conversation starter, right? Then when we're warming up, or if I see some girls, they come in early to set up the room before they're supposed to train. I'd go up to them and be like, you know, hey, how'd you sleep tonight? I already know what they labeled it, right? But mm-hmm. all of a sudden I could start, you know, it was more individualized for each individual just for the fact that I could see where they're deficient in and pretty soon I could speak a little bit more. And then I would always have a message throughout the day about certain things. But if somebody wasn't eating, you know, enough meals, wasn't hydrated enough, you know, wasn't getting enough rest, if they felt sore, if a body part felt injured, um, you know, if they were really fatigued, uh, what else? Irritability. We did. We, we asked questions on irritability, asked questions on um, 
their mood for the day. And then we asked how easy it was for them to like fall asleep at night or whatnot. So I had all this information. I mean, it was pretty, it was a pretty extensive, uh, you know, survey questionnaire. A lot of people, you know, will do a lot less, but I just wanted a lot of conversation start so I could see what they're going. So that, that pretty much got me. And it was, you know, I've been with the volleyball team for three years. So I already knew a lot of the individuals uh, and how they, you know, how they interacted, you know, some of their, some of their, uh, the social activities they like to partake in or whatnot, just from you know, <laughs> yeah. speaking to them. So uh, I already, you know, especially as they got older, whatnot, and living off campus and stuff, that's other things you have to worry about. Right. So you could go and kind of, you know, make each talk a little bit individualized as they're setting stuff up. And then, um, you know, another thing we did is after practice, uh, so they'd lift first, you know, and then they would go to practice directly afterwards. So uh, I sent out a questionnaire after every practice, same thing using Teamworks, and it pretty much asked how they felt for the day. You know, is their lower body fatigued, upper body fatigued? How hard was practice sessions? How hard was weight sessions? It was all numerical value. You know, and at first, you know, the scores were a little off, but then as they got acclimated to the scoring system, it's going to become a little bit more accurate, yeah. especially for, you know, compared to the the seniors and juniors, compared to some of the freshmen, the freshmen, you know, may not know how to, may not have, may have a really low training age and everything just feels difficult. But, you know, most of our seniors were the ones really, you know, juniors were playing more, more matches or getting the most out of competition. So we could really gauge that a little bit better, you know, and it kind of fell down the, the scale of side. So as far as, you know, based off that, we could recommend, you know, the coach was really, you have to get coaches that really buy into this too, but, and obviously you can do this, this with GPS and other means. We just didn't have the funding to do so, but I could go in and go, Hey, you know, coach yesterday, this person's really sore. That, that person's really sore. Uh, we just need to watch them at practice today or maybe, you know, what are you doing at practice? And the coaches would actually change up some of their practice plan to kind of alleviate some of the soreness, especially initially coming off COVID where they're very inactive. They're going to be sore pretty extensively. If they haven't done anything, you could tell who did stuff and who didn't do anything. Yeah. And then we could manipulate practice a little bit because we weren't really playing until the spring. So it wasn't as if it was something we had to get ready for competition. Right. So yeah. I think that was huge. It really helped us a lot. It helped us acclimate the girls a lot quicker. Um, it got buy-in It made them more receptive as far as those talking points that uh, I questioned them on or asked questions about, you know, then pretty soon it was, you know, Hey coach, I didn't have to bring up to them and go, Hey, did you, did you eat breakfast this morning? Or, Hey, what'd you have for lunch last night? Or would you, they were coming and telling me, up front. Hey, I had this, you know, Hey, I drank, Hey, I, you know, I would now give them some, you know, guidelines. Hey, you know, you need to drink this many, this many ball, you know, ounces of water or something like that. So they, you know, a lot of them took it serious, but any, you know, even if you just, you know, you might be talking to a group of 15, but you can, if you can affect one or two people in a lifestyle change in that manner through using those questionnaires or even the CNS tap test aspect, then it's a job well done. Right. Like that's, mm. You're just trying to affect some individuals. And I think it kind of went downhill once the seniors, you know, trickled downhill, sort of say, is, is once the seniors bought in, your upperclassmen bought in, well, then all of a sudden now the lower classmen are like, well, what, you know, they kind of want to be, you know, accepted into the group, right? So all of a sudden they wanted to do similar things that the upperclassmen were doing. And then as the upperclassmen moved on, you know, then that new batch of freshmen coming in would do similar things, right? So it almost started a, a trend, sort of say. Yeah. But it really, you know, for all the work you put in, you really have to be consistent with it. I mean, I think a lot of coaches get frustrated and uh, they're like, well, I'm putting all this work in and it's just not benefiting my student athletes. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing is, you really have to be consistent with it. You just can't try for a semester and then just give up on it. I mean, right, right, there, is, right. there is data that, you know, 
after a period of time, you, I know a lot of coaches that, you know, they'll get certain periods of data and they're like, well, it's just not, I mean, it's just not working with our program. It's just not fitting in and they just exit. It's the first thing to go. Right. But it's definitely something where sending out messages, sending out, you know, a daily, you know, nutrition tip, you know, sending out things like that, that deal with nothing with the game or the sport that they're dealing with, but they do, it deals with their wellness. I think it, it's really uh, beneficial because it not only takes us, you know, just specifically with that sport, but then all of a sudden now we care about their overall wellness and how they're doing as, as, as their well-being as an individual. Right. And then yeah. that kind of gives them a little bit more consciousness. So uh, the CNS tap test, we could dictate things based off of uh, programming if we need to. I really used it as kind of a measurable to take the questionnaires <clears throat> and the data from the CNS tap test and pretty much graph to see how it's, how it's flowing. So if like, you know, if the CNS tap test, you know, if their if their scores are down, and but then all their uh, information in the uh, questionnaires was like a higher number, then it may be something that maybe they just don't know numerically how they actually feel, or it's something that they're just trying to push through something, right? So those are like red flags you kind of have to watch a little bit. But you can see a common trend through the questionnaires. I would graph things so like everything was on a numerical scale, whether it was one through five scale or one through ten scale. And then depending on the certain numericals, I would, I would pretty much graph a certain color. Mm -hmm. So if it was something like on a higher end, 10 being good or five being good, it would be marked green. So like a four and five would be green, a uh, eight, nine, 10 would be green. Then middle of the road would be yellow. Uh, and then lower end, you know, if it's on a five scale, like a one or two would be like a red. And then if it's on a 10 scale, um, you know, one, two and a three would be red. And then I could see, from a color standpoint, you can see from their graph, like, you know, there'd be greens, reds, you know, green, 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 red. And then yeah. I could chart that over weeks and I could see where, you know, where they made conscious decisions as far as change goes uh -huh. or how they could, you know, uh, how they did that on their own. But then I could also see indicators as far as, okay, hey, well, you know, uh, Megan, you know, for the last five weeks, her sleep has been in the red for this, this amount of time. And obviously I've been telling her about and telling her about it, but that could be something where visually we try to have a more in-depth conversation with her about sleep or something. Like it could be something that shows some type of data point that, Hey, th there's a troubled area. You know what I'm saying? So right, right, right. Um, now, obviously with some technology, it's going to be more immediate, you know, if you have a <clears throat> GPS, if you have catapult or stat sport or, or any of the GPS systems, you can see some of those things a little bit more immediate whoop, you know, we've had some success with whoop. Some people haven't had success with whoop, um, you know, same thing with aura rings or whatnot. Um, a lot of our baseball players, they, they purchased the whoop on their own. Um, and then we would actually get, you know, uh, we had so many of them actually purchasing on their own that we were able to actually get their approval and whoop actually uses the dashboard system. So I could actually bring up their dashboard if they, you know, signed off that I could get their information and I had that, I had that information around the dashboard so I could see, you know, where their HRV was, you know, how much recovery for the day they're at, uh, stuff like that, which was really helpful, but that gets buy-in from the coach, like from the athletes and the coaches, right? Like our coach was really big on, I mean, he's a really big weight room proponent, really big on student athlete development, uh, and player development. So like he was all about like every day he would be preaching during the offseason, Hey, you guys need to look into purchasing X, Y, and Z. Yeah. We didn't have the funds to get it right. But there's a lot of coaches that aren't going to be like that. Right. So you really have to, you know, as we talked about earlier, the situation I may be in um, may not be the same situation you be, may be in, right? So you have right. to kind of find 
little, you know, little ways to get around things and, and really try to push things onto your student athletes to, that's going to benefit them in the long run. So uh, I, we found success with it, but like you said, like I said, you have to stay consistent with it. Like it's not something you can just week to week and just start changing, you know, changing, you know, what the workout is or something like that. Like you have to, you have to get some reliable data points at first and see how everybody reacts. And then from there, you can base, you know, you can change stuff up if you need to after a period of time collecting data. You know, the biggest thing is obviously, you know, when they get back from school and then, you know, I think everybody knows this, like right around testing and finals time, those are the highest, you know, highest end stress levels. So obviously, mm-hmm. you know, it's something like during our, like I would never, like some people would test like near finals when finals are coming up or end of the semester. And, you know, I'm not a really big testing individual. And if we are going to test, we're going to test way before that, as far as getting numbers or like, do anything that's really yeah. maximal just because, um, you know, if we're coming to an end as far as like fall ball goes, or if we're, you know, finals are coming up and then we're testing weights all at the same time, like that's a pretty high stress environment. So um, you really have to pick and choose what the most important thing is at that time and then um, figure out, you know, how you're going to program that from that. So that, that takes communication with your coaching staff and it takes some education with the coaching staff too, because coaches always want to know, depending on what sport, you know, how, how high did they jump? How, you know, how much weight did they, you know, is this girl getting stronger? Yeah. I mean, everything's going to, if they're training properly in a, in a good system, they're going to get stronger. They're going to jump, you know, higher. They're going to be faster. If you're using sound principles, as far as, you know, strength training goes, the biggest thing is, is are what are really good KPIs that um, you're going to measure. And then when is the important time of the year to measure those KPIs? So they don't dictate with so they don't interfere with performance variables on the practice or on the game field or in the competition, vice versa. When is your competition the highest? And then are you going to actually, you know, test some tangibles in the weight room during that time? So it really takes some flux, you know, really some planning out. It just, you just can't go and, you know, just measure, you know, every, you know, design a program every four weeks and, and just throw it against the wall and hope it sticks. Right. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, which a lot of people, which a lot of coaches do, I mean, it is what it is, but um, yeah, I think it's a good way to monitor, monitor those things. And, and, you know, I just did it as a, as an indicator based off our pandemic and moving into, you know, kids coming back to campus and stuff. Uh, just as a real way to, to measure volume and, and what athletes could handle. And then from there, I found it as a real valuable tool and kids, kids actually relied on a lot more than I did. They saw it as like, okay, well, Hey, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good today. And that kind of changed their mindset. They would do the CNS tap test and it would be, you know, you'd see that incline peak, you know, and they'd be like, Hey, I'm feeling good today. And they'd come in with a little, you know, a little, a little extra oomph, you know, they'd want to do a little bit more weight. They'd want to test a little bit more, you know, they want to run a little bit more pretty cool to see. So, you know, the biggest point I think you said was getting the coaches buy-in. Right. Cause you know, if you're just doing it just to do it because everyone else is doing it and it's like, where are you going with it? You just have a bunch of data. That's just you're wasting your time. You're wasting the kids times. Right. You know, now if you're using it for educational purposes, that's one thing. And that's one thing I did with, with sleep monitoring with the water polo kids here at Fordham, my first three years, what I found with them and the volleyball team was that freshmen always sleep the worst juniors and seniors. And my belief is one, you find better habits as a collegiate athlete, just a college person in general, freshman year, you kind of like, Oh shit, it's new. You're out and about friends, social aspect and junior senior year. You probably have your own bedroom. You're not in a dorm. It's not hot as hell. Uh, which a lot of kids complain about their first year. And I think they take their athletics a little more serious at that point. Whereas freshmen are trying to do everything at once. You know, school is killing them. 
They want to hang out with friends and they really can't because they're practicing. So they sacrifice sleep for that stuff. But one thing I did with the volleyball coach this year, because this is kind of my first full year with volleyball, we used the, the wellness questionnaires and sleep cycling stuff. And I had kind of my own acute to chronic work ratio sheet that I kind of created on my own with some certain metrics that I kind of valued. Uh, like you said, you got to find your KPIs and value what you what you can value and you know go with it. So we would talk about practice two hours before practice. We, we'd you know, speak around 2 p.m. Practice was at four and we'd go over, you know, who slept well, who didn't sleep well, chronic fatigue, acute fatigue, who's sore from yesterday's lift, who's just sore overall in general and just not recovering. And, you know, he, he would change practice for some kids, not all of them. You know, he'd have his plan. He'd say, okay, well, this person doesn't need to jump today if their lower body's killing them and they didn't get any sleep last night or freshmen aren't sleeping good at all, period. All right, well, let's talk to him, see what the hell's going on. This kid's complaining about back issues, but they're not seeing the athletic trainer. Okay, we'll have them do whatever, some type of rehab during practice, just, you know, something like that, you know? But I think it's valuable when the head coach buys in, number one, and the athletes see value in it, number two. Because one thing that's funny that, that we talked about earlier was when kids leave your site for summer or when they graduate, are they doing the things you taught them? And I would say about 80% of the kids I coached continue to still do their sleep cycles in the summertime when I'm not trying to, uh, I guess chart that stuff. And you know, even when they graduate and we still chat from time to time, they're like, oh man, I finally hit, you know, eight or nine hours of sleep coach, man, you proud of me. And they'll send me their sleep cycle. And I'm like, shit, man, you graduated two years ago. This is awesome. <laughs> but you're still doing it. But, but yeah, I, I think finding markers, I think when it comes to like fatigue assessment or just athlete readiness in general, I think too many people go off the wall and they want to do everything and anything. For me, it's just, you know, two things that I like to look at all the time. One of them is sleep, because I think if you're not sleeping well, one, you're not going to recover. Two, you know, for if we're in a growth phase and you know we can't grow, we're just losing weight. We're in a catabolic state. That's that's terrible. And the other thing I like to look at a lot is uh, RPEs. Um, and I know a lot of people say, "Eh, well, RPEs, you know, the kid might just put the same number down all the time." And I'm okay with that if a kid puts six all the time. Right. It's that one time where he puts a nine or a ten, and I'm right. like, "Okay, something, something, something's going on today. What is it?" You know. Right. And then, and then you you know you have that conversation. It's a conversation starter, starter right? Yeah, it's yeah. a conversation starter, and all of a sudden, like it's a red flag and you're like, okay. And then, you know, maybe, maybe they mark something wrong, who knows, but maybe something, maybe it has nothing to do with weight training or practice. Maybe it's something that was more social uh, interaction yeah. or maybe it was something more personable. And then all of a sudden if it was something, you know, something happened in the home life. Well, now that's a conversation point that you can draw that athlete in even more, just like we talked about before, like, getting a little bit more personal with your student athletes. And, and, you know, it could be something, you know, knowing, you know, knowing the parents, knowing if they, you know, have, you know, if they're alumni of the institution that you're at, like, you know, knowing those little things like single parent home, like stuff like that is really, really important. Even their major and stuff is really important. Right. Like, just like you talked about, like, yeah, it could be something that somebody slept, you know, they only got four hours sleep and you're like, Oh, what's going on? Well, you know, Hey, I had X, Y, and Z exam. I'm in this, in this major, I only got so much sleep last night. So all of a sudden now you become aware of those things where before you had that stuff, it might've been something where, you know, you just ran that person in the ground mm-hmm. and then, you know, it just took them longer for recover or they never recovered and maybe an injury popped up. Right. But yeah, I think, I mean, just like you said, I think sleep cycle is huge. We try to educate, you know, I know there's apps and stuff for sleep cycles or, you know, you can just verbally, you know, ask people, you know, Hey, how'd you sleep? How many times you wake up during night? You know, stuff like that. Um, there's a thousand ways to do it, but I think you're right on track with those variables as far as RPE and then our, obviously sleep. I mean, those are tangibles that you can pretty much fix over time. So it's it's huge. Yeah. You know, just to add on to that, I remember this semester I was conditioning the uh, the volleyball team and one of the girls had like three hours of sleep. 
I'm looking at a wellness questionnaire that morning. Everything is fucking red across the board. <laughs> class stress, personal stress. Right. It's funny because I, I make sure I, I delineate classroom stress and personal stress. I'm like, hey, girls, listen, if class is killing you and you're fucked with work and you're late and you're not late in a bad way, but it's so much work to, that you're you know getting your ass kicked. It's that's classroom stress. Right. It's not personal stress. And I try to tell him his personal stress is, you know, issues at home. Issues in your personal life with, you know, friends, society, you know, boyfriends and this girl. And it's funny because we were conditioning and she just looked pale as shit after like our second rep. Right. And I'm like, oh, God, I'll, I guarantee you she broke up with a fucking boyfriend. <laughs> I go over and ask her, I'm like, hey, do you want to sit this out? Because I don't want you to pass out. Like, I just don't want bad things right. to happen. We could, we could do this later today. Get some rest if you need it. And then she goes on to say she broke up with a boyfriend. She's up all night, you know, on the phone with him. And I'm like, all right. And then she went on to say, hey, look. I don't want to let my team down. And this means a lot to me. And she finished, you know, and I told her at the end, I said, listen, you look terrible just because you're so pale. You didn't get no fucking right. sleep or nothing. But her commitment level is great. But I, I, but I think like stuff like that, I think coaches need to be aware of because you can always be the, the shitty coach. That's like, fuck that line up. You didn't sleep right. last night. It's your fault. You know, hey, listen, John, there's times when I've told kids three hours of sleep. Hey, you know what? Go back, go to sleep, come back at 1 p.m. when it's open hours and right. let's lift. All right. And, and we'll talk about it later. You know, whatever. If coach wants to hold you to a, a consequence, then coach will hold you to that, but I need you to perform well today. Come back at one. I've done that minimal, maybe three 100%. times. You know, I don't do it all the time. Cause I always tell the kids, listen, we're not going to play this game all the time. We'll, we'll pull this card once in the blue moon. If right. you're studying for like a big exam, you know, we got some kids that are studying to be like, you know, physician assistants and right. shit like that, you know? So, but yeah, I, I think also we talked about it earlier, getting attached to your athletes in a yeah. sense that where you can make that connection where it's like, Hey, I understand what you're trying to do with your life post-college. If class is killing you, listen, we want to get you better for your sport, but let's focus up for this exam today. Let's lift tomorrow. Right. If that's the case, you know, but, um, I think building off of that, you know, outside of like fatigue assessment and stuff, like what, what are the markers and like, guess things that you want to work on programming wise with your athletes that, uh, that you haven't been able to work on. You know, in the past I've, I've done stuff with volume as far as playing time. Right. Especially in season wise, uh, okay. person plays so many, especially this deals with like football and I've even done with baseball and softball, but if a person plays a certain amount of innings, or if they play a certain amount of plays in a game, I would dictate volume based off what's going on. And I would have designated areas, right? So I'd have like, okay, someone comes in in season, let's say they're a football player and they come in and they, uh, you know, they play offense and they got over 60 snaps or something, right? So they come into the training session and, you know, it's really verbal. You could use some of the things that we talked about as far as questionnaire or whatnot, but I would just do verbal. And this was back in, I mean, it was a while ago I did this, but it was probably 2011, 2012, but I would come in and an individual would come in and be like, hey, you know, coach, I'm just sore. My lower body is really sore, you know. And so the way the lift would set up in season, we primarily train three days a week. So I would have different realms as far as volume goes. So I'd have a maintain, I would have a restore, and I'd have a gain as far as sets and rep schemes. So okay. when an individual came in, you know, maybe they're a sore lower body wise, I'd be, okay, hey, you're restore on lower body. When you go to upper body, you know, you're going to be either maintain or gain. And I would dictate that based on a scale so they couldn't, they couldn't do either. They couldn't do any of them more than two times in a row. So they couldn't do like restore two times, uh, like in a weekly, like week one, week two. Then they'd have to pick something else week three. That just so it wouldn't be something someone's just coming in and saying restore all the time, you know. So because I didn't really have a way to really dictate um, if they were actually fatigued or not, right? I mean, okay. some guys can play, you know, forty snaps and they come in and they feel good the next day. Yeah. Uh, some guys can play, you know, 40 snaps and they can barely move the next day. Right. It just depends on their GPP and how they recover and, and what kind of trauma they had to their bodies. So right, I right. would do that. And uh, we got some really good benefits from it as far as, you know, 
overall strength during the season. And we, we charted everything out as far as volume, but then as far as uh, our strength curve goes. And I think, you know, I think by week 11 in the, in the season, I think we had, uh, if I remember the numbers right, I still have some of the information on it, but um, I think we had like upper body wise, we had individuals like 93% of individuals were at their, their starting strength at the beginning of the fall or their, they were higher. And I think it was 88% lower body wise. So it was pretty huge. Like a lot of guys increased their strength during the season or whatnot, especially playing a, a pretty brutal sport as far as football goes. Um, and then our schedule was pretty, pretty difficult too, as far as travel and stuff. So, but that's something I tried to, you know, install with, uh, with baseball. And uh, I made it more of a, you know, more instant intensive, extensive days, as far as like a high low system goes, especially in season uh, and based off, you know, I would have an intensive workout or an extensive workout. And then based off how our three game series was, I know a lot of teams now are playing four game series during the season, but based off how that series was and how much playing time a person got, then I would rotate those exercises. So if someone came in and they, you know, let's say they were a leaf pitcher and they only did, you know, they only, you know, pitch so many innings or whatnot, then they might do more of intensive workout, whether it was something that, you know, maybe it was a starter, he went eight or nine innings, he threw well over a hundred pitchers. Then when he came in, he would do more of an extensive workout uh, the next day or whatnot, if that makes sense. So I kind of, I kind of played with stress a little bit um, and try to do that. But the big thing, you know, what I'm really trying to get into now is more, you know, and that those are ways I would individualize things based off sets and reps. But I, I really am, am trying to do more, especially with baseball and volleyball, is just more, uh, I guess, more of a table assessment if there's time. So really, like, I don't want to say a PT assessment, but really going over joint by joint aspects and really measuring um, angles of the body. Um, and obviously, you can't do this with a large team, really. I mean, it really, you know, we've done some of this in the past with like our pitchers, uh, just because pitchers are so, um, I mean, they, 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 we try to be as hyper individualized as possible. Um, so we would do that. And then based off those assessments, then we would really try to individualize those programs based off, you know, those pitchers needs um, just because, you know, pitching is so much about angles, uh, so much about shearing force of the joints uh, depending on, you know, how the pitcher, uh, what their main pitch is, obviously arm angle is important and obviously spin of the ball is important. So we try to make those individuals, uh, you know, as we try to fix imbalances as much as possible in those individuals. And, you know, it was beneficial, but I think we got a lot more buy-in from pitchers because pitch, pitchers are very difficult. Uh, There's some different, I wouldn't say difficult, but they're, they're just different dudes, right? Like yeah, yeah, hundred percent all the time, <laughs> right? If they're yeah. if they're sore or something, they're not going to want to do you know certain things. Um, they have their they have their superstitious ways. So the more that we can get buy in, and more that we can say, hey, this is gonna this is gonna affect you individually. This isn't some cookie cutter program, and this is based off your needs. Then the more they're gonna, and the more they see results as far as you know. Now we know baseball as far as pitching goes. Everybody's looking at velo, and you know they're doing max pull downs and doing, you know, their driveline routines and stuff like that. Well, at least the, the institution I was at. So, you know, the more they see the velo going up, the more they see that uh, they're improving in their assessments. Cause we would do assessments every six weeks as far as like a PT assessment, a table assessment with them. 
and just to get, just to see if there's variations exercise that we need to change. But those are things that uh, I've been trying with pitchers for a while, but I want to try to convert that over to some more, especially overhead athletes, you know, especially your volleyball players, especially upper body wise for volleyball players, just because their motion isn't the same swing wise as like a, like a baseball you know player. Right. But um, it is yeah. something overhead that, you know, everybody has, a, has a, a different opinion of how training overhead athletes um, softball players would be something too, not necessarily for the pitchers because the pitchers really don't put excessive stress on their shoulder just because of a different throwing motion, but definitely from a position standpoint. So really using, you know, those specific things, but, um, those are, those are big things that I'm trying to do. If I get a chance to, you know, when I do get a chance to, to work with those athletes again is make things a lot more individualized, especially for not necessarily for, you know, the freshmen or, or, you know, individuals that training ages are really, really low, but really for those individuals that as they get more innings and more throws and become more specialized in their sport, I think that's something when you look at younger athletes, like your junior high and your high school athletes, obviously, I think we all can agree that, you know, the private sector is kind of specializing those individuals a little bit too soon in some cases. Yeah. Um, And they really need, they really need more strength. They really need more, you know, intangible GPP training aspects as far as building uh, uh, the demands of the body and the demands of the sport. But then as they get a little bit more specific, older in age, a lot, you know, they're not going to need that much strength anymore. You know, if I have a person that comes in and they, they can trap bar deadlift, if a guy comes in and he can trap bar deadlift, you know, two and a half times his body weight, you know, is it, or two, you know, maybe three times his body weight is, is even worth him going over more than that. You know, if he can come in and trap bar 600 pounds, high bar, is, does it really matter if he comes in and does 610? You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. you're just putting excessive stress on the body. There's other things we could probably work on. Uh, they're going to make him a better overall. We can be more specific in his task, right? So yeah. those are kind of things that I'm kind of like, I don't want to say playing with, but kind of experimenting with. I have some former athletes that, you know, are, are physical therapists. You know, I've worked with a couple specific, from a baseball standpoint, specific training uh, facilities in the past that they, they do very similar things. But I just think they introduce some things a little bit too early, especially in the high school level, right? Uh, unless a person, you know, even, even, even if you have a high school individual that is uh, going to get drafted, I still think it's something they, you know, it's probably a little bit too soon that they're, you're going to be doing like real specialized exercises with them, right? So I think that's something that needs to be come later, but a little bit later on. But the big thing that I found out is obviously it's very time consuming. You need a, you know, you need a coach that understands that because if you are doing table, table assessments, I usually run, you know, they may take 20 to 30 minutes for a table assessment. So like time is highly, you know, important, but then from there, from those standpoints uh, you need a staff too. So having interns and, and stuff like that to help you out is essential also. So, but I think, I think the college realm, um, you know, already, you know, the professional realm is somewhat that way because they do things a little bit more individualized. They, they do a lot of things, you know, based on velocity and based off assessments and, and, you know, a lot of them do a functional movement screen. Some of them, you know, some of them now have, uh, you know, different programming aspects like the Kong IQ that you stand in front of a screen and, and it pretty much sees your joint angles and measures it through, a, you know, like a, like a camera. And then you, you go from there. I'm trying to make things a little bit more specific from those needs and, uh, and develop some type of philosophy that way. And I, like I said, I mean, I have some physical therapists that, uh, that are former athletes that are kind of like, you know, they understand like the reason they got into being physical, you know, or they're a physical therapist. So the reason they got into being physical therapists because when they're athletes, they, they probably get injured or maybe injury pretty much caused them to, to quit playing uh, their sport early. Right. So they have a really big interest in seeing what they really, uh, 
you know, how those individual programs could really benefit those athletes. So they'll, uh, you know, we'll talk about different aspects as far as training goes, different exercises that may, that some athletes may need to avoid and just give it different options. And just to give an example, like if someone has poor internal rotation of the hip or whatnot, it may be something where we don't do a lot of double leg movements and maybe we may be doing more single leg movements, right? Right. Uh, single leg loaded movements, right? If somebody is, uh, has a really, uh, strong anterior pelvic tilt. Uh, well, obviously we may put some modalities in there that help alleviate the hip flexor, but it might be something we do more of a, a high bar trap deadlift rather than like a low bar that'll put the low back in a, in a dangerous position. So, mm-hmm. you know, as far as testing athletes of that or having, you know, uh, getting numbers for kids like that, it's really non-existent. You know, we'll do some, we'll, we'll do a lot of uh, testing based off of their performance variables. So like, you know, staying long jump, you know, counter movement jump, vertical jump, static vertical jump, triple broad jump, single leg, triple broad jump. So we'll do more movements based off that as far as athleticism goes, rather than going, hey, this individual trap barred, you know, 600 pounds, he front squatted 300 pounds, and they did something else. You know what I'm saying? And that's only yeah. with, that's only after they've hurt, you know, their freshman and sophomore years, they've possibly hit certain KPIs in our general program, if that makes sense. Right. Okay. So once they hit these general programs, then we can move them into a more specific program aspect. If that makes, gotcha. if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of people try to rush things. Like you said, like private, like I'm not knocking on the private sector guys, you know, they, they do, you know, do what they do and it works. It's funny. Cause I was asking somebody on, um, it was like coach Pat Basil on uh, Twitter the mm-hmm. other day. Yeah. He, he put a post out about bands and I was like, Hey, look, do you have any metrics to where you begin to use bands, you know, um, band resisted stuff with athletes and stuff. He, you know, he had his metrics. And I'm like, okay. That makes sense. And he went back and said something. And I think he said, I don't know if it was beginners or intermediate lifters. He's like, it's not that they don't need it. It's just not necessary for them at that point in time, because they need more strength to develop, you know, before we've, we could put them in these high speed eccentric positions, you know? So I, I think you're right on what you said about that stuff with, you know, people trying to specialize too much too soon. And my big thing, and I always keep this in my back pocket and it's like my North star. It's like, Hey, master the basics. Right. Because you know, if, 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 if the basics aren't mastered and we're starting to, you know, do two advanced things, then, hey, we're just putting bad orthopedic stress on our joints and then we're only going to lead to, you know, injuries or negative things down right. the line. In training, 100%. You know, you know that, that's one thing that we have to battle um, is the private sector. You know, I worked in the private f- sector for a per- like a short period of time. And the thing, the private sector is you're only going to have an athlete for a certain amount of time. Usually yeah. it's during, you know, maybe it's three months because maybe they have to play another sport or maybe they're doing travel ball or something like that. But the average time is anywhere from two to three months. They're usually a lot of athletes don't train year round. But the thing is, is you're doing some type of training that I don't want to say it's gimmicky, but you're doing some type of tra- training to elicit some type of immediate result because yeah. the, the quicker your immediate result is, the more people are going to buy in and the more and people I, are going to come to you. Right. And so, I, th- I think, I think it has to look good too, because I, I used yeah. to work in the private sector as well. And the biggest thing that sucks when you're dealing with the youth or high school athlete is the parent right? and, and them wanting to see you know, their kid trained like the pros do. And it's like, well, my thing was like, Hey, we're not there. We're not pros yet. You know, <laughs> when, when we become pros, we could do the stuff Aaron Donald does, you know? <laughs> right. No, hundred percent. And that's the thing is, is one, one of my good friends, he, he works at uh, Cleveland San Ignatius, Anthony <laughs> Rubino. And uh, he tells, you know, one thing he told me is, Hey, you know, when, when you're done training a kid, they, you know, the first thing the parent is going to ask him is how that, how that workout session was when they get in the car and the, the workout has it pretty much, he, he quote unquote has to win the car ride, right? So when you get the when the kid gets in the car with the parent, right on the way home, 
the parents going to go, hey, they're going to look at them and, and see that they, you know, they, they perspired or whatnot. They're going to ask, hey, did you have a good time? And then they're going to see, you know, hey, is, uh, you know, from a parent aspect, uh, is this workout helping my my kid get better at the sport? You know, so mm-hmm. that's winning the car ride. If a kid kid gets in the car and they go, hey, how was the workout? And he's like, oh, man, it was it was a great workout. I think it was worth it. You know, X, Y, and Z. I really had fun today. Then the parent's going to be happy about it, you know, because the kid's not, the money's not coming out of the kid's pocket. It's coming out of the parent's pocket, right? So yeah. that's the person you have to cater to the most, I would say. But winning the car ride, especially in the private sector is, or if you have a sport camp or something like that, like those are, those are essential things. Like uh, you have to, you have to meet those tangibles in order to be effective. And now, now today's society, it's just not about, you know, uh, getting the individual, you know, uh, better at their sport or building, you know, building a good foundational base. It's about, about that smoke show as far as uh, trying yeah. to, trying to get them interested. Right. But you were dead on about building general strength and building foundation, you know, and I think a lot of people bring up like uh, when you, when you build a house, right. Like you have to lay the foundation first, you lay your general strength stuff, and then you can put up the walls and stuff like that. And then, you know, when you're starting to implement, you know, bands, chains, even highly hyper-individualized programs, uh, you don't want to put, you know, you don't, you're not trying to put the roof on before you put the sides of the house up. You know what I'm saying? Like stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people push that stuff way too quick. And then the potential to get some type of benefit at later on in your training age is pretty much dissipated, you know? So if I have a high school kid and all of a sudden I bring him in and I'm just, you know, putting, uh, doing overspeed eccentrics and they're not even ready. They can't even do a regular Jeez. body weight, you know, can't even do a body weight <laughs> squat, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's not even, it's not even essential. It's going to give a bad taste in the kid's mouth. He may peak too soon as far as his training age goes. And then to get more illicit benefits later on down the road, it may take some type of another desired training effect, you know, Um, or it may take rest because, you know, I I don't possibly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't really, I don't really believe in overtraining, but I do believe in under recovering. Right. So uh, it could be something that the stimulus is so high that they just need an extended period of time to recover from something. Right. So um, that's our job is that, you know, and you know, this just as anybody else, I mean, it's our job to put our student athletes in situations that are going to benefit them. uh, And we're very uh, locked in, especially in the collegiate realm, as far as time. Right. Um, You know, we never have enough time for our student athletes just because we're, we're locked in, you know, we only have this much time this day. NCAA only says that we only have, you know, this much time. Well, then a coach has to, a coach comes in and goes, well, hey, we only have eight hours. Uh, well, I need this. I need the guys for three hours. That means you can only have them for five hours. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah. we're so locked for time that a lot of stuff as far as acquisition of athletic performance is, is we just can't meet our, our needs sometimes. So we're really locked. You know, we're kind of like scientists as far as trying to push all that stuff in there in a short period of time. But another thing is, you know, what's the coach want? You know, we're dictated by what the coach what the coach believes in, you know, I don't want my guys, I don't want the guys squatting heavy or I don't want, you know, our guys to be fatigued for practice or, you know, like stuff like that. But then you have to, you know, there's a fine line, you know, the worst thing, you know, I've worked with coaches in the past a long time ago that would be like, well, you know, I don't want my guys sore for practice. You know, this is in season. Well, I'm like, all right, well, that's fine. And then as soon, you know, maybe some guy comes up and goes, Hey coach, you know, even though we have a game on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it's Tuesday. I'm a little fatigued because we had workouts yesterday and he's like, well, then we're not working out the rest of the week. Well, you just totally did. You just totally did a reversal because now the next time the kid works out, 
He's probably going to be another shit. week. And they're going to be more sore. You know what I'm saying? And then all of yeah. a sudden, as the team goes in season, you know, towards the last three weeks, uh, we're not going to work out at all because we need to focus on baseball. Well, you've been playing for for 12 weeks already. Like, you should be pretty baseballed, baseballed out by now. Fucking you know locked in. Yeah, you should be able to read every damn pitch that comes to you by now, brother. <laughs> right. Everybody should be going pretty good. You know, so we're always given a lot of different tangibles and, and like – you know, I say time and time again, the, the experiences that I've had and, and something, you know, as far as a program that I've had that worked, I may bring it into your situation or another coach's situation and it just totally doesn't work at all, you know. So you really have to, you know, see what other people are doing. And I think a lot of people do that, but then you can only take it for face value and try things out, you know, here and there. So Yeah, definitely, man. Definitely. Well, Coach, man, I appreciate it, man. This was Good stuff, good knowledge you brought to the table, man. How you know, fatigue-wise, assessment, readiness, and you know, how you kind of engineer that stuff with your program and with you know, restore, you know, your volume and stuff like that. I think that was awesome. Before I let you go, man, I gotta ask you this uh the golden question I ask everybody, man. If you weren't coaching strength and conditioning, what other career do you see yourself in? But the clause, the the underlying clause here is you cannot say teaching. Okay, that's because everyone every everyone says, Oh, I'd be a teacher. It's like, dude, come on, man. That's a cop-out answer, man. No, I mean, um, seriously, I, I would probably be a chef. I'd probably work in a restaurant or go to culinary school. I think I gave this it hasn't changed since the last time I talked uh to you before, because I think that's the same answer I gave before. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, that was something I wanted to do out of call out of uh out of high school and, and uh I really, you know, grew up where I was, I had no idea how to even obtain, obtain that. Uh, because back then we didn't have computers, but it was just, uh, (laughs) (laughs) it was something that, you know, I always like cooking, you know, when, when I would go visit my grandma's house, we'd always cook together and stuff. And it just kind of, you know, I still cook today or whatnot. So, um, I'd like to, you know, dabble in that a little bit and, uh, and go from there. So that'd be pretty exciting. I mean, I love to eat too. That's why I cook, but yeah, um, who doesn't, who doesn't love to eat, right? (laughs) Right. Of course. What's the, uh, what's, what's the go-to meal, man? What's the, uh, What's the two hundred dollar meal, man? I mean, I'm, I mean, jeez, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty basic. I mean, I like steak and potatoes, but one thing that I've, I've made in the past, I don't know if you had bajol, uh, but it's like uh, it's just thin, thin steak with stuffing. You, you pan fry it first, mm-hmm. and you put some spaghetti sauce on it, and then bake it, and uh, it's like stuffed steak kind mm. of. Beside a pasta, it's pretty, pretty legit. So. My man, l- l- little, 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 little Italian side. Little Italian, huh? Yeah, a little Italian. There you go. Uh, I know what you're talking uh, about. Yeah, man. <laughs> I mean, Italian's, Italian's probably the best comfort food. You know what I'm saying? So uh, it's pretty it's pretty amazing stuff. So there you go. I got to get you up here to North Jersey, man. We got the best Italian food in the whole land. I, I can believe it. I I might just take you up on that. You know? <laughs> well, you let me know when you're around, man. I got you, coach. But uh, yeah, hey, listen, it, again, thanks for coming on. And thanks for being patient with me with the whole mess I had going on here, man. No, no, for sure. It's a pleasure, man. I mean, the, the, the podcast you're putting out are fantastic. You have great guests on there. I'm just really happy I could be a part of it. And, I, and I'll be honest, I, I was highly disappointed and I, I was like pissed off to myself that I kept seeing John Patrick on this podcast, that podcast, this podcast. I'm like, God damn, I had him on mine first. I, I just, I, my computer crashed, man. So it's damn a, it, man. It's, it's really weird, man. Like, cause I, I, like I did one podcast and all of a sudden people would be reaching out and like, hey, man, like I saw you in here. Yeah, you want to be on our show? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, sure. Like, I, I mean, I, I have no problem with that. But I'm like, in the back of my head, I'm like, you know, Gio was the first one, man. Like, he, he yeah, man. Happened, so, I mean, we had to hit I'm, it up again. I'm glad and, I got uh, that on record. I'm glad I got <laughs> that on record. <laughs> we had to hit it up again. And, and, I mean, we didn't miss a beat. But it's a pleasure talking to you, bud. I mean, I think you're doing great things at Fordham. And uh, this podcast is awesome. 
and uh, I wish you all the best. Thank you, man. Thanks for coming on again, brother. No problem.